Hey, how about a sermon? These are not all sermons, but that's certainly part of what I do. And while I feel like there's been a number of solo episodes here lately, got some wonderful conversations I'm looking forward to sharing with you. I just felt like maybe I needed to throw this out today in particular for anybody who's in deep darkness, for anybody who's in a place where they're struggling with how to find a sense of home or how to get back home for anybody who feels trapped inside the nightmare and doesn't know how to wake up. This one's for you. As always, if you like, comment, subscribe, any of those things, supporting us on Patreon, I'm so grateful for those of you who continue to make this possible. And uh, just wherever you are, wherever you come from, hope this lands where you need it to today. Did feel like it's appropriate to mention in sharing a sermon like this that I am available to speak, to preach. If you're ever interested in having me in for an event, please feel free to check out my website, jonathanmartinwords.com. And there's a tab right there on the front page where you can book me. But in any case, this came from a deep place. I hope it lands in the depths of you. Once again, welcome back to the Zeitcast. So thrilled to be able to to do this today on this snowy uh, morning. There's a lot happening in this text, but uh, um, I'm drawn this morning. I'm not always drawn to the darkness, but sometimes I am. To a couple phrases here in the NRSV, and of course, our gospel reading recalls our reading from the prophet, but in Isaiah. Hear this language. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. Anguish. A little bit later on, the phrase specifically is, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them the the light has shined. I want to talk um, for a few minutes this morning on deep darkness, on this whole idea, even not only of deep darkness, but of anguish. Anybody know what it is to experience anguish? Anybody know what it is to go deep into the darkness? I do. I do know about the darkness. And I do revisit there sometimes. I know we're at a place where, and I'm glad for this, um, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book several years ago I really love called Learn to Walk in the Dark, where I feel like we talk a little bit more about the need for darkness and kind of seeking that strategically. But there's something, too, about these words, anguish, deep darkness, that I find haunting. And though I know, and I certainly want to get to the hope um, that we find in in Jesus is the one who dispels this darkness. I don't want to skip over the fact that maybe here today, 
um, for those who are listening, our community at the table, um, that there are some who may be in that kind of deep darkness right now. And one of the things that's so awful when you're in the deep darkness, when you're in the anguish, is there's not necessarily a way to just kind of will yourself out of it. That you're not able to just click your heels together three times and just decide to feel differently. Not when you're in deep darkness. And as much as I get and like the idea of like, you know, incorporate, yes, we need light and dark, learn to walk in the dark, and all that, but I'm telling you, but there is that deep darkness that is a whole nother kind of dark. That kind of dark where even the word of the Lord is not a light to your feet and a lamp to your path. There's no light. Um, going to church, um, listening to spiritual thing, does it stir anything at all? Not the kind of dark that you write poetry about. I'm talking about the kind of dark where there is no poetry. There is no beauty. There's just dark. There's just nothing. Talks about how people sat in this kind of deep darkness. Some of us know what it is to sit in that kind of deep darkness. Uh, I thought about, I had a seminary professor. First seminary I went to, which is whole, there are stories within stories here. But he was kind of a kooky character, um, sort of a weird class. We had a one-week intensive on Irenaeus, who was kind of an early church figure. So help me, he never talked about Irenaeus. That's the truth. I think there was one line about Irenaeus in a week. It was the oddest class. He's very charismatic, not like as in like big personality, more like our kind of, like where I come from, like kind of charismatic. He was just like, he was a little bit out there. And I wasn't quite sure what I thought about him. But he had one line that week that I still think about 20 years later because it was so devastating. I just thought, man, like, well, that came, that came from somewhere deep is that this guy who was so like, you know, faith and kind of out there. One day in the middle class, kind of out of nowhere, he says, you know, that line where David says, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. David only said that. Because he hadn't lived long enough yet. If you live long enough, you will see God's seed forsaken and begging for bread. I was like, dang. That's hard. But it rings true. I mean, you, you are aware that children of God do end up begging. It's not like anybody, nobody who's ever loved God has ever gone hungry before. It, you know, no, like... People of God go into the very, very deep darkness. Now, I don't know about your experience of going into the dark. But for me, the hardest thing is when I get in that kind of deep darkness, when I get in that kind of despair, when I go into the other phrase in Isaiah is gloom. When I'm really into the gloom, there's such a disorientation that comes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about disorientation to where there are moments. Uh, and I realize, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I don't know if anybody else is like this. I'm not always super aware of how I'm doing. You know, you can ask me and I'll try to. I'm not always aware. Sometimes I feel like I'm not aware of how dark I go until after I kind of come out of it. You know, I don't know like how bad I'm doing or um, 
And I feel like that, that happened not long ago where it's kind of like I didn't realize I wasn't doing great until I think I was doing better. But I realized I'd been like the fog I was in. That fog, and this is, this is what it always looks like for me, where I'm still doing the stuff that I do. I'm doing the things that I know how to do kind of on auto, autopilot. There are certain things I just, you know, know how to do. Uh, I'm, I don't claim to be good at this, but I have, I've been doing this since I was 19 years old. There's some things I just, you know, I know how to do. I do the things I know how to do, but I completely forget who I am. Like literally forget who I am. There's the, the, the sense of identity that like just gets so lost in the mix. Um, and when that sense of identity is fractured, uh, you know, and beyond order, any of the kind of business leadership types of things of like, you know, you need to know your motivation and purpose. When you forget who you are, like that deep sense of like nothing, like nothing works, nothing works. The fog that comes out of that, nothing makes sense. Nothing adds up. Um, the, the funny thing about that for me, at least is I know I'm in this kind of fog. I know I'm in this deep darkness, ironically enough, when I'm most likely to try to assert who I am to someone when I'm most like, like when I'm trying to tell somebody, uh, I don't know if, if you're ever in that position where, um, you have to sort of contend for yourself where you feel like you've got to kind of, um, uh, make the case where you've got to sort of, you know, uh, this is dumb, but when I was a kid growing up, I mean, I was a pastor's kid. So I remember getting in trouble and I remember playing the card a few times. Well, you know, my dad's a pastor, that kind of grasping at straws. Well, my dad's a pastor. Maybe that'll give me some kind of leverage here. I can feel myself when I go into it now. Like when I don't feel, when I'm not feeling my bearings like that, looking for something that trying to find, uh, now it might be something like, well, you know, I, I wrote something one time that somebody liked, you know, just try to find a thing. Um, not so much coming out of uh, personal experiences. I've never been taken hostage before, but I've seen the movies. And when people are taken hostage, I feel like with all, what they always end up saying is some version of, Hey, don't, don't shoot me. I have children that sense of like some trying to appeal to somebody's basic humanity. Well, at least I'm, but I'm a human who has little humans. Like, don't, don't kill me. I've got kids. Um, maybe you've been at that point in your life. I've heard myself say this statement before to say to someone that I loved, Hey, I know this is, this is how I am now, but I, I wish you could have known me. I wish you, you could have known me back then. I wasn't always this way. Or in the other direction to say to someone, which I've feel like I've said a thousand times in my life in some form, if you just give me a chance, I'll show you who I really am. And whenever I'm coming out of that place of defensiveness, I need to prove something always comes out of that kind of a, that kind of the fog. One of my favorite Henri Nouwen quotes is one of the great tragedies of human life is that we're always forgetting who we are. We're always forgetting who we are. And I think the invitation always of the gospel, the invitation, the whole story of scripture is to remember, remember who we are, to remember who God says that we are. That's one of the things that I realize, especially when I'm in this mode, in this gear, is that my even my prayers start to sound like that. Some kind of like pleading and if you can give me another chance, 
uh, trying to explain everything away. I, I feel like this has been still fairly new revelation for me that I don't need to remind God of the things that God already says that I am. God's not needing to be convinced. I don't need to petition God of any of this. Like God, I think, you know, we live in such fear of being forgotten. God does not forget. God never forgets who I am. I forget who I am all the time. God's never confused about my identity. I get plenty confused about my identity all the time. I do visit these places of deep, deep despair. And I'm not trying to camp out in the, in the despair. One of the things that's interesting, I think, to even preach about that kind of deep darkness, even try to talk about it, is kind of, you know, well, I mean, what do you say? What do you tell people? There are a lot of things you could do. I mean, drinking a glass of water first thing in the morning is better than not drinking a glass of water first thing in the morning. More sunshine is better than no sunshine on down the line. But, like, there's this other part to it as well that, because I, I really thought about this with this text, and I love the... um the fulfillment that comes in Jesus, people who have walked in deep darkness, all of a sudden see a great light. What is different about the day that you're in deep darkness and the day that all of a sudden you see a light? What is the difference between the day in which there is no illumination and all of a sudden everything is illuminated? Because most of the time for me, my practice from one day to the next and that are, are, are not different at all. It's like all of a sudden it's just time to see. But when you're in the middle of the darkness, you don't know how long any of that's going to last. You don't know how long heartbreak is going to last. You don't know how long you have to feel pain the way that you feel pain. No one can tell you that. Well-intentioned people will try to tell you when, you're, when it's going to be over, when it's going to be done. How has that ever worked out for any of us, right? It's like you don't, you, you don't know. You don't know. What I do know is this, and this hits with a different kind of weight for me somehow this morning. The psalmist says, weeping may endure for the night. Weeping may endure for the night. It will take as long as it takes. But joy comes in the morning. Morning does come. That's not, I don't think that's a hot take. It's not super positive prosperity preaching. Can we get a consensus on that? Morning actually does come. You don't know when it's coming, but it does come. The day does actually break. And part of what I love about this is that this kind of coming awake that happens, this coming awake this invitation to remember, we saw a few weeks ago where Jesus is baptized. And I love that that always falls early in the uh, in this part of the church calendar in January because it's the foundation of Jesus' own identity. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The place that Jesus always returns. There's this invitation to remember. Remember who we are. Remember who God has always said that we are. To come out of the fog and to remember who we are again. And it's not an invitation to, to denial. That's one of the reasons it's almost, it's weirdly fun for me to go into the dark places, even preaching while I'm not afraid of that. Because I don't, we don't have to act like those things don't exist in order to be hopeful. 
y'all know I come from the Pentecostal charismatic side of the tracks. And there's so many things I love about where I come from and quirky things too, like every tradition has. And one of our things, I don't know if anybody, if you hit the snooze button through this, then that was good for you. But we did have like the, our, our moment of name it and claim it. Are you aware of this? Like name it and claim it, prosperity theology. This came in all different packages and forms. Hilariously enough, and I, I don't, I actually don't mean this to be like a dig, but a lot of people I know now that I feel like are super new age, I'm like, oh, I recognize that. That's just prosperity theology. People don't have any, have no beliefs about God whatsoever. And it's like, oh, you don't, you know why you don't have money? Because you're not positive. You know why you're broke? Because you're not thinking positive thoughts. I'm like, oh, I've heard all this before in church. <laughs> if you wished harder, if you had a positive confession and not a negative confession, so it became a whole thing is that you never want you always want to make sure you don't have a negative confession. So if you do have a cold, you don't say you have a cold because that'll just reinforce the supernatural power of that cold, you know, and then like, you know, so the thing is always like try to talk yourself out of whatever's going. That's not what I'm talking about at all. And I think this is the power of like the way that God's light works is it does it actually, it has all that's just denial. That's what I always want to say, but I'm like, honey, you are just living in denial. That's not faith. That's just denial. No, God's, God's light is so different because we can still see all the other things for exactly as they are. All the other stuff is still there. Can I get preachy here for just a second? The bills are still there on the desk and they are not yet paid. The diagnosis has actually not changed. The data has not moved. And yet there is this invitation to hear a minority report. Yet there's another side of the story. There's another voice. There's another perspective. There's another way of seeing. I've been thinking so much these days about John's gospel, which is full, just chock full of stories of people who can't see, who then receive the gift of sight. And I know right now, understandably and rightly, we're navigating sensitivities around language and the idea of ableism. And, you know, um, do you have to and how we speak about disability and what it means to be whole? Do understand, though, like in John's gospel, you understand that that was never none of that was ever about physical seeing. Right. It was always about coming awake. That's the whole through line in John's gospel. Come awake. Come to a different perspective. And by perspective, it's not come look at the sunny side of life. Not glass half full instead of glass half empty. It's a little bit different than that. Man, I'm I'm sorry, y'all. I just uh, I, I'm I am I am feeling preachy right now. My favorite Elisha story is the one where Elisha is surrounded, him and his assistant are surrounded by the armies who are coming to get them. The city has been seized, so they're under siege. And Elisha's assistant looks around and says, like, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elijah says the most preposterous and hilarious thing. Don't be afraid. There are more with us than there are with them. Well, that's lovely. Fact of the matter is they're surrounded. They are sieged by an army and there are two of them. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. Two of them, army of everybody else. But there's this beautiful moment where then Elisha prays for his assistant. 
and says, open his eyes that he might see. And what he sees, it's not that there are more people with him, but he suddenly sees that the chariots of the Lord are surrounding them, that the army of God is all around. This is, I think about this all the time in the fight for justice. I literally, I feel like I need to be reminded of this all the time. There are more with us than there are with them. Oh, not more people. (laughs) But the, I'll say it that way. The angels of God, the armies of God. When Dr. King would talk about that long arc (laughs) of the universe that's bent towards justice. Now, the, the, the weight, the weight is landing this, this direction. But, but you see what I mean? At the same time, we're not operating in denial. I'm aware that like not, it's not like nine out of 10 dentists agree. It's not like everybody is there. No, most people are not. Does it mean that there's not a different way of seeing this story? It's what I love so much about the book of Revelation. It's never about end times, battles and charts and graphs. None of it was ever there. To oppressed, hurting people who are on the outer edges of everything Jesus says to John, come up here, and he receives a vision of the world from a different point of view, where instead of the story being one of being terrorized and marginalized, instead, there is a vision of a God where love wins, where self-sacrifice wins. That's what revelation has always been about. But this is a very different kind of seeing. When Jesus in Matthew's gospel comes upon a girl who is dead as, as a doornail, it's a southern phrase. Y'all said that in, we said in Indiana, dead as a doornail. That's not a talk. That's not poetic at all, is it? And Jesus says, Oh, it's all right. She's only sleeping. I love that because on one hand, this girl is actually factually very, very much dead. And yet there's another perspective from which she's only sleeping. There's another way of looking at this story. There's another way of seeing this reality. I'm basically done. I'm just, I'm coming all the way back around just simply to say this for anybody who's in the fog, I'm hoping somehow that this could be a moment. One of those moments that for whatever the reason that I'm hearing this, that you wake up, that you wake up, not wake up like, Slapping around like you're doing something wrong. What are you thinking? No, like wake up. That you remember who you are. That you remember who God says that you are. That whatever other labels that you hear, that whatever other burdens that you carry. I don't know about anybody else, and I'm not trying to do my own therapy here. I've, what I've learned over time is that all the voices I'm trying to outrun are not really external. All They're all in here. Nothing's as bad. It's like, what's in here? But to dare to believe that those voices do not ter- tell the ultimate truth about my story, and instead to remember what God says. For those of us who have been in deep darkness The light has come. Illumination has come. And we may not have it every moment. We may not have it forever. But for moments, we do remember. And one of the things I love so much about coming to the table, as we will for just a moment, is that it's always an invitation to remember. And to go out in the world saturated in this identity that we have. That we are children of God. That our identity is as 
God's beloved and not any of the other labels that anybody else would put on us. This, this is an invitation. This is an opportunity to, to come awake. So God, we just ask now that um, as we transition into this part of the liturgy and this, this time in the service, we ask that you would wake us up. Wake us up. And I pray specifically because I do know and feel that in my bones today. I know the truth of it. The weeping, the weeping, the weeping that does endure for the night, the night that can go on for, um, for many nights, the night that can go on for months, the night that can go on for years, the night that can go on for, that can swallow up seasons. But you are a God who raises the dead. You are the God who brings light into the darkness. And we pray not as um, some kind of historical fulfillment, but in our midst today, that this would be reenacted all over again, that darkness would roll away and the son of love would be revealed in our midst, that we would remember who we are, that we would remember the name that you have given to us, that we remember who we've always been, that we would remember, remember, that we remember just before I, we come to the table, I just want to um, land it this way. Cause I don't want to forget to say this. This felt pressing on me today, but I've been in a big way of preaching um, for anybody struggling with a sense of like, just how to get home. Cause I know when I'm in the deep darkness, that sense, like this whole, like I, I feel like I spent the last few years. That was kind of my project is this whole how do you get back home? The the age old question does, can anybody real uh, go back home? And something I really felt like felt like a nudge from the spirit for whatever that means for me not long ago was just simply this. Cause I know what it is to have those nightmares where you feel like you can't get out of the nightmare. Like you're trapped in the nightmare. You, you kind of know that you're in a nightmare, but you can't wake yourself up. And I really felt like there was just like this nudge of the spirit because my sense is always that I need to think my way out of everything. Like, but when you're in that moment, like, how do you get out of that? Like you ever, you ever thought your way out of a nightmare? You ever plotted your way out of a nightmare? I mean, it's like, you don't, how do you get home from, from that place? Like you don't, right. You just, you just wake up when you wake up your home. And I feel like that's just where I'd love to wait to land this morning. It's just this, when you wake up your home and there's not, Anything you have to do to get there, there's just a waking up. In the same way the prodigal son, there's this moment where uh, the text says he comes to his senses. There's just these moments where we come to ourselves and we wake up and we remember. And that's the invitation this morning to wake up. Pastor Brian.